Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for those who lead us in worship. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be in worship with God's people. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to read God's word. You know, tonight we're going to fellowship some together. So I hope that you will come out and enjoy a hamburger or a hot dog with us and just uh, enjoy the fellowship together. We're going to be out under the pavilion and um, we're going to be out there. I think uh, David Beeson's going to be helping cook out there. And uh, so I hope that you'll come and, and if somebody wants to jump in and help him uh, cook hamburgers and hot dogs, uh, you come on. Um, I'm asking you if you'd bring some dessert, maybe some cookies or ice cream or something like that. And um, if you want to bring some sodas or uh, bottled water, we'll have an ice chest or two out there and you can throw them in there and we'll, we'll just enjoy each other's company tonight. But that's at 6 p.m. and I hope you'll come. So this morning I want to uh, wrap up our series on the practice of genuine religion in uh, Romans 12 through 16. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the God of hope. And uh, I'm so thankful that we have a God who is the God of hope. It's such a, a thing that, you know, we, we, we try to, we, we say that and it, I don't think it always sinks in. Because, you know, you can be saved and still live a life that is as dry as a corn shuck. And what I mean by that is, it seems like sometimes if you don't live as close to the Lord Jesus as you should, you probably think that the Christian life is boring. You probably think that maybe the church is, is dead or irrelevant and, and that your life is no different than the pagan that you live next door to. But folks, it all depends on where we're at with Him. I mean, it can be dry, but it can also be very watering and drenching. It can also be wild, because we serve a wild God. I mean, He does all kinds of stuff. You know it and I know it. If we didn't believe it, we wouldn't be here today worshiping God. We'd be somewhere else. But you see, our text presents God as the God of hope. And I want to give you that hope. I want to present that hope to you today. Sometimes it, it feels like we have no hope. Sometimes it feels like, like the, the, the world has, has swept in and, and, and pulled the carpet out from under our feet. Or, or the flood has come in and left us with no hope. But you need to understand we serve the God of hope. I mean, just as God is love, just as he is righteousness, just as he is truth, just as he is life and light, his nature is also hope. He's the God of hope. And his hopeful nature is illustrated by his plan of salvation. I mean, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's a God of hope. That whoever believes in him will not perish. You see, Jesus Christ was, was born a Jew, but he is the son of man. He is for all people. His atoning work was no less for the Gentile than it was for the Jew. 
He's for all people. And our scripture reading is in Romans chapter 15. I want to begin in verse 5 and I want to read down through verse 13. And if you have your scripture and would follow along with me, Romans 15, 5 and following. It says this, it says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as we were worshiping, I'm going to take a little side here. As we were worshiping, I couldn't help but hear all of our voices singing together. I think it comes out of that scripture right there. One voice. That we, with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. And I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I ask, Father, that you would be glorified in this moment, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he quotes passages here from the Old Testament. And, and he, he's showing that the Gentiles were part of God's plan. They were in God's plan from the very beginning. That Paul has been pleading that just as Jews and Gentiles have become one humanity in Christ, that the church, we all, have become one body in Christ. We all share that common loyalty under the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith, they are to unite together in Christ. So that also the Jew and the Gentile, they become one in Christ. You know, Leon Morris, he said it this way. He said, God's glory was promoted when Christ received us as sinners. When he received us as sinners, God's glory was promoted. It is further advanced when we, who are by nature sinners and wrapped up in our own selves, when we instead receive our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we we allow them in warmth and love. See, this is the vision that Paul had. Setting before the people in Rome. They have differences, and yes, they have their own baggage. Anyone here got baggage? We all have our baggage. 
those that will admit it. But we all have that and we all have our differences. But Paul is saying we need to accept one another. We need to be one in Christ. Because salvation is for all people. We are to accept one another in the church the same way Christ has accepted us. Oh, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You know, Paul is, is saying continually draw one another to yourself. That's the word picture that we have here in, in the term accept. Continually draw them to yourself. To accept one another is actually to accept Christ himself. You know, it's, it's kind of like that, that saying, any friend of his is a friend of mine. Any friend of his is a friend of mine. And we need to be doing that. We need to be accepting because nothing glorifies God as much as the unity of his children. And folks, that's in complete harmony with his will of love, of loving one another. See, no one, absolutely no one is too far gone to be rejected or cast out. Every individual, every soul is redeemable under the power of Jesus Christ. And we like to pick and choose. That's not God's way. God says, whosoever will receive my son will not perish. See, I love that because that means it gives me a shot. See, we get so comfortable with our church friends those that we identify with, those that we're comfortable with, that we may feel like it's too much to ask to get outside of our comfort zone and accept someone who may be different than us. Someone who may have different baggage than we do. Someone who may sin differently than we do. But we've all, we've all been forgiven if we have Jesus as our Savior and Lord. He's saying we need to accept one another the way Christ has accepted us. And listen, the God of hope has provided salvation for all people. Who are we to put up a hand? Who are we to say, no, you don't belong here? Who are we to say you need to go somewhere else? When the God of all salvation is here for us and for all people. <laughs> See, his hope for glory is in the salvation of sinners. The redeeming of sinners and in their becoming like Christ in their character. Folks, we should not despair. But I, unfortunately, I think we're a product of the, the hee-haw show. You know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, we should not despair. We serve the God of hope who has, who has reached down and touched us. And saved us and redeemed us. And as long as God is, there is hope. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. 
That word truth there, eletheia, has the literal sense of that which contains nothing hidden. When we talk about truth, we're talking about nothing hidden there, not concealed. And aletheia is that which is seen or expressed as it really is. See, the basic understanding of that word is that it is the manifestation of a hidden reality. It is something, the truth that has been opened up. The manifestation, the showing, the display of a hidden reality. For example, when you go into a court of law and the, the courtroom bailiff, he has you lift your hand and he, you know, he, he asks you to swear and he says, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And you say, I do. Then you sit down. The question that the court bailiff is asking you is, are you willing to come into this courtroom and manifest something that is hidden to us that only you know so that you will bear evidence of that? Basically, you are the one that is bringing inside hidden knowledge that is reality. This is what actually happened, and you're giving an account of that. You are, you are, you are making it, bringing it out into the open. Folks, people and things are true when they correspond to their profession. We might call it integrity. We say when someone's talk matches their walk, then they have integrity. They have character. They are genuine. They are sincere. In other words, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. So truth is a declaration which has a corresponding reality or a reality that is currently uh, correctly set forth. And since God Almighty is the great reality, that which is correctly set forth, His nature is preeminently, it is supremely the truth of creation. We call that natural revelation. We see that all around us. The truth of God's creation. We see it in the sunset, we see it in the flowers, we see it in the rain, we see it all around us. We see it most definitely in people, because we are all different. Every one of us is different and unique. Oh, how God must have a sense of humor. Amen? He loves us. But He is, he is the truth of creation. But there's also the truth of Scripture, which we would call special revelation. There's general revelation, and then there's special revelation. This comes from God, so that it's, it's not surprising that rebellious and sinful people, they want to squash, they want to suppress the truth of creation and its glorious creator. They want to suppress that and even exchange that clearly manifested reality for a lie. They want to exchange that, even though it's evident, even though that it is written out. We, we have the truth here. Moving on. In verse 9, you see the words, as it is written. As it, as it is written. That phrase occurs 76 times in the Bible, as it is written. You know, when I was a kid... If our parents told us something and we questioned why, mom or dad might say, because I said so. 
when we are commanded to be holy because God said so. You know, it's kind of popular people phrase, you know, you see it on uh, pins and bumper stickers and refrigerator magnets. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That sounds good, but it isn't accurate. Because God's word is true whether you believe it or not. It should be, God said it, that settles it. Because his, his word is true. It is written, should put a stop to every complaint and every excuse that we have. That word in Greek, grapho, it's written in the perfect tense, meaning that it has been written and it stands written. In other words, it's still here. It cannot be changed. It's here. It has been written and it stands written. And what follows this is Paul's, he concludes his grand argument in, in Romans. And, and he talks about, and he, he gives this prayer in verse, in verse 13. And I, I want to I read that one more time. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you read a verse like that, I mean, you got to ask yourself, does that verse even come close to describing who I am? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You know... Most of the time, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We say, yeah, that describes me. I, I uh, gave somebody some hope yesterday or last week or last month. You know, we like to take credit for what God's doing. But I need to ask, this is the question we need to ask. Would my family or good friends describe me as being filled with all joy and peace in believing and abounding in hope? Because we can be some of the most negative people that people have ever met. You know what I mean? We always tend to see that glass half full rather than, or half empty rather than half full. And we, and we want to we make, our, our, make our bed there. We want to live there. And we all fall short of experiencing that verse. And so we can benefit by thinking about this verse and what it means and how we can grow in these qualities. I mean, I cannot physically imagine someone saying, I don't want to be filled with joy. Or saying, I don't want to be filled with peace. Or abounding in hope. We all want those qualities. We all desire that. This is a very practical verse for us to, to help us navigate through life's trials and tribulations. You know, Paul says there, now, may the God of hope. I mean, hope looks forward. Hope looks forward, and, 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 and there's that excitement forever. I mean, I don't know about you, but the closer I get to heaven, the more excited I get about it. I'm ready to go. It's kind of like that day approaching when, when you're getting, you know, as a kid, you get to go to Six Flags or something. 
You know, you're thinking about it, you're planning on it, you get excited, you get pumped up about it. Maybe it's the birth of your first child. You're thinking, will that day ever get here? And sometimes that's the way we feel on our journey to Jesus. When's that day coming? When can we know? But God is the God of hope and he's always looking forward with expectancy and delight of certain things that he has promised us in in scripture. Certain and glorious things in the future. Ain't that going to be something? But then I ask how can we, it would follow that that if, if a dejected and depressed and discouraged saint of his seems to be yielding to a different spirit contrary to his will which is for each of us to be abounding in hope. So what's the difference? What took place? What happened? Why are we not abounding in hope? I think that's huge. Because we need to understand something, that everything, everything begins with God. It all begins with Him. Everything begins with God. I mean, if there is hope for joy that is deep and eternal, it will be hope that is founded on God. You're not going to find that out in the world. They're just waiting for the next fix. They're waiting for the next superficial. They're waiting for the next shiny to come along. They're waiting for the new and improved model. They're waiting for the latest software. They're They're waiting for all of this. They do not have the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ. See, any other foundation will fail. And we must believe that God is and that he is a God of hope. See, this hope is not the wishful thinking that the word hope has come to mean in our society. But rather, it is a deep-seated conviction that is based on the word of God. (laughs) That reality... The truth of scripture. It's based on the word of God. You see we can have. We have the promises of God to rest on. And these promises are what give us hope. I mean they convey the the truth. That that, that God is both the origin of hope. But he's also the object of our hope. I mean we desire to see God face to face. We desire to see our savior and lord. But notice he says here. Now may the God of hope. Fill you. He's not talking about you filling yourself. He's not talking about the preacher filling you. He's not talking about stuff filling you. He's talking about the God of hope filling you. Oh, this is huge. This is huge. See, Paul is talking here about filling these contending parties... These parties that are arguing back and forth. The the weaker brother. The one who has not been accepted. And he's talking about filling the contending parties with a fuller spiritual life. Oh, the life that we have and can have in him. And, And here's my point. When we see that, when we see brothers and sisters being filled in their in their spiritual life, their grounds for the differences that they face. Are going to disappear. And they're almost going to appear. Disgraceful. Why were we arguing over that? 
Why was I not accepting you in the first place? See, watch this. When the tide rises, all of the little tide pools are merged into one. Folks, that's why we do discipleship. That's why we help people with the fuller spiritual life. See, believing, believing brings joy and peace. And I want to talk a little bit about peace and then we'll hit on joy and then we'll kind of wrap all this up. But peace means literally that which has been bound together. <laughs> that which has been bound together. And it is freedom from troubling or oppressive thoughts or emotions. And peace in this verse is that inward state of quiet that comes about by having our peace with God. <laughs> See, the peace that comes from believing. Peace with God through justification and forgiveness. And I know that's a big word. Justification. This salvation is only through Christ, Jesus, when we accept Him and what He did on Calvary for us, that justifies us. That means we are put in right standing before God. And it takes away the penalty of our sin. <laughs> Hallelujah! I'm not going to get what I deserve. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I can't do any better than that. That right there is a touchdown. It's more than a touchdown. That's, that's eternal glory from now on. And to me, I look at that and it's such a beautiful thing. Because notice that this peace is only possible through Jesus Christ. Peace with God. See, peace with God comes first. Once we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God within. See, Romans 8 says this. Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And those who believe in Jesus are adopted as sons and daughters. They are God's children. We have eternal life. We have peace with God. And he encourages us, Paul does, to enjoy the peace that we have with God. To enjoy that peace. And, and, and I love that because in Romans 5 he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt, we rejoice, we, we you know, exhilarate in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, he moves from that into talking about joy. And, and, and the joy that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. We have that peace. We have the joy in believing in God. And I don't understand exactly why Paul said all. That you may have all joy. All joy and peace. And in Greek, all literally means all without exception. All the joy means all of the possible joy. We have all of the possible joy we could have. Can you imagine that much? Can you imagine that much? Johnny, you were a little giddy on Wednesday night. You heard some good news. 
You came in, you were, you, you were excited, you were joyful, you were excited, you were, you were streaming tears of wet moisture out the side of your eyes. You were so excited and exhilarating in the joy that God had given you. Of a burden lifted. Folks, that's the same thing we experience when we receive Christ as our Savior and our sins have been forgiven and we carry that burden, that punishment, no longer. Hallelujah! In other words, Paul is not praying for a percentage. Not a portion, not a fraction. But for all the joy and hope that God has promised to those who love him. You know, God's not a stingy Grinch. Okay? He's a gracious giver. And Paul desires that the saints in Rome would experience all the joy and peace to the max. The most they could possibly enjoy. And joy is that deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who has been made right with God. It's not what we think of as happiness. In our world, there's a lot of talk about that. When we think of joy, we immediately think of happiness. But real joy is more than that because real joy cannot be touched by circumstances. It's not tossed to and fro in the wind. I mean, we get overwhelmed by our circumstances sometimes, but we still have the joy. See, the joy is a fruit of the Spirit. See, it's part of the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit of God. It's above our circumstances. Real joy is a, sovereign, is a gift from our sovereign Lord. It is, it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so then we have joy in doing the will of God, the Father's will. We have a joy in doing that. It's our joy to serve Him. And we, we serve Him by serving others. It's a joy to do that. I love this because God, my God, will never be defeated. My God will never be defeated and what joy it brings to be aligned on the side that will be victorious. That is and will be victorious. You see joy, we have also have joy in the assurance of God's approval. Sometimes we try so hard to get the approval of our spouse or a friend whose opinion we value. How much more to get God's approval? You know, when Jesus says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, how, how rich, how, how enjoyable to say, yes, we did it right. We, we, we've completed the mission that we've been given. We also have joy in the knowledge of helping others, serving others. He commands us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I mean, that's, that brings joy. When you do something for someone else that, that can do, uh, that cannot repay that, that, can, that, can, um, that, that does not owe you, that cannot repay it in any way, that brings joy to our heart because we know that we met a need that they could not meet. Folks, it's a beautiful thing. But we also see that joy and peace in believing are illustrated perfectly, completely in Jesus. I mean, in the Beatitudes of Jesus, he described a Christian as being blessed that the believer is to be congratulated. You're blessed if you do these, if you know Christ, if you have peace with God. I mean, Jesus had to defend himself and his disciples of being too joyous. Everybody acted like they were at a, in a wedding party. 
because they were, they were so joyous. They were giddy. They were, they were having a good time. And you know, I think that's how we ought to be as believers. I mean, even with the one sick of palsy, Jesus said, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. You know, in the parable, in the parable of the, the pearl of great price and the, the tre- treasure that was hidden in the field, the Lord's emphasis is on the joy of forsaking all in order to gain the treasure of the kingdom. I mean, to his disciples, the night of his betrayal, Jesus said um, in John 16, 33, he said, be of good cheer. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I love that. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2, he encourages us by saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. (laughs) There is joy in believing. There is peace in believing. But now comes the really good part. I'm wrapping this up. Believing brings hope for the future. I mean, part of the present joy and the peace of believers is our hope about the future. What is to come? We recognize that this in this life is not all there is. There's more beyond this. I mean, our future is as bright as the person and the promises of Almighty God. And you know what? I take God as his, at His word. You know, we, we see examples of that. I mean, we believe that God has plans for His people beyond death. We believe that. I mean, just take what Jesus said. He said in John 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, how can we know, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, God has a plan. And we believe his plan because Jesus said it. That settles it. See, we believe that that Jesus, what he said about his second coming. That, that, that he's coming again. In Matthew 24 and 25, he talked about that a lot. That I'm going to come back. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back and, and, and you're going to see this. Even the things that we do here today, whether it be in baptism, it shows the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper, we recognize His sacrifice for us. And both of those talk about the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, you know, what I received, I received from the Lord. 
about this. And he goes on and he says, For as often as you eat this uh, bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul was convinced of the fact that there is more beyond the grave. Because this had been revealed to him, this truth by the Lord himself. See, Paul shared this thought in Philippians 1. He says, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, I will, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard pressed in both directions, having very much a desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is much better. Oh, 2 Timothy 4. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I've, my time for my departure has come and I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, he says, For I has not seen and ear has not heard the things which the Father, <laughs> which, the, which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, what a joyous thing. These are wonderful promises, but understand this, that faith in the sense of believing in God cannot be forced. It cannot be forced. I can't believe for you. You can't believe for me. We each have to individually believe on our own. You see, if your doubts are great, if you have great doubts about God, about Christ being the Savior, then act as though God is exactly who He says He is. And you will come to know that He indeed is. I say that because hope cannot be forced. It is the byproduct of faith and love. And if you lack faith, and if you find it hard to hope, then do what you can by loving others. Because here's what, the, what will happen. You treat others as Christ would have you to treat them. Live up to the highest that you know. And you will find that to your love, God will add faith and peace and hope. See, the purpose of this prayer is that we would be characterized by the abounding love that is a byproduct of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God, through Paul, he knows that the unity of the church is not automatic. It's hard for us to get along and be together all in one accord. And sometimes it can be discouraging. I mean, some of you may have come to a point where you've become so disappointed in the church that you wonder if you can even go on. Maybe you've been so disappointed by broken relationships that you wonder if you can go on. The Apostle Paul said, this is how you can go on. Because the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace as you believe. So that you will abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the ability to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ 
the ability to experience unity in the church depends on the work of God in us. It's not something that comes to us naturally. It's something outside of us that he puts in us that allows us to abound in hope. See, the hope that we must have to go on doesn't come from within. It comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a wonderful thing to me to be among believers who are filled with all joy and hope in believing and abounding in hope. May he bring that about as a reality in us. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for how you guide us and how you lead us. I thank you for the truth of who you are and the truth of your word. Father, you are not only the origin of our faith, you are the object of our faith. You are the source and the giver. And Father, we just say thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did on Calvary for us. Father, we thank you that you bring us tremendous hope. Even in the midst of the destruction. Even in the midst of our pain. Even in the midst of our brokenness. Father, you bring us joy and peace and hope. Through the power of your Holy Spirit in us. Father, I ask that you would challenge us through your Holy Spirit. Father, that we would see where we have squelched the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where we have not given way, where we've been stubborn and stiff-necked. Father, I pray that you would show us where we fall short in our relationships of abounding and being filled with all joy and peace. Father, I'm guilty. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be filled with joy and peace. And Father, that we would not be that dry corn shuck, but Father, that we would be a refreshing spring that everyone that comes into contact with us would be refreshed in spirit and in peace and in joy, drinking from your well, your fountain that is springing up within us. Father, I ask that you would guide us in a time of response. Father, that you would show us the truth of our own situation. And God, that you would break our spirit that we are empty and dry, that we are empty and bereft of the joy of your Holy Spirit. Father, guide us into all truth as we continue to seek you, even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.